It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Chris, happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, uh, we're just talking a lot of jazz basketball. They've got a game against the Lakers tonight. Uh, we're not going to see LeBron and AD, of course, and uh, now not going to see Donovan Mitchell, who will be reevaluated at the end of the week. And Rudy and Conley are probable. And it seems like the Jazz now are, are going through what a lot of NBA teams have been going through, trying to, to manage during this unique season. How how difficult do you think that's been across the board? Oh, it's been you know the the, the biggest story of the season I think has been injuries I mean we talk about it when it comes to the MVP race but it's you know it it permeates across teams I mean you just scroll through Twitter in the mid-afternoon every day and it's a injury update from a coach or a team releasing injury updates you know Kevin Durant is now out I mean I was just reading what Brad Stevens was saying about the guys that he's at have out to come back I mean the one thing the Jazz have been very successful with though has been COVID and that's you know, that's something that they've taken a lot of pride in internally that, you know, we're going to take this coronavirus issue seriously. We, When we're on the road, we're going to uh, be diligent about it. When we're home, we're going to be uh, equally as, as tough when it comes to protecting ourselves and making sure that, that we don't have any kind of spread or contact tracing issues. And, and they've been largely successful with that. I think that's been a big reason why the Jazz have been as consistent as they've been this season. Chris, you, you mentioned Brad Stevens. Real quick aside here, uh, what would you make of that story over the weekend that he was offered seven years, $70 million by Indiana? Uh, I don't know what he's making with the Celtics, but that's pretty good uh, Pretty good money to walk away from. Huh? Well, I mean, two things. One, I think – to be clear, what Woj said on TV, we said Indiana was prepared to offer him seven years oh. and seventy million, and you know maybe they would have, but it's it's easy to say that now when you know it's it's a done deal and you know you've got your coach already. Um, you know Brad Stevens just never let it get that far, like you know, and that's just kind of his mo. He's a pretty straight shooter, and you know I, he made it pretty clear from what I was told to people making overtures from Indiana that he wasn't going anywhere, and. Look, we've had this conversation many times. You know, pro coaches don't go back to college. They just don't. I mean, the college lifestyle is is awful compared to what an NBA coach goes through. I mean, hell, Alex Jensen walked away for a chance to be a head coach at a uh, college program to stay as an assistant. I mean, the lifestyle's good. And if you have a chance to make, and I think Brad Stevens is probably somewhere between 6 and $8 million per year to be an NBA coach, I, there's really no scenario where I don't think we'll ever see an NBA coach walk away from that. So, uh, I, you know, maybe it was what Indiana was will as uh, how far Indiana was willing to go. Uh, but, uh, you know, Brad Stevens, he just never had any attention and still doesn't have any intention of going back to the college ranks. You know, as long as we're talking about the Celtics for a moment, what have they figured out, uh, figured out Chris? Cause they've turned it around all of a sudden. I mean, you know, one of the things that people in Boston told me during their slump was that we need our stars to play like stars. And we've seen that over the last, you know, a couple of weeks. They're on that six-game winning streak, eight out of nine, like 10 out of 13 or something like that. Um, it, through that, you've seen Jason Tatum play great. Jalen Brown has played great. Campbell Walker has played great. 
I mean, they've got guys stepping up. They've, you know, sort of, uh, you know, added to that with Robert Williams, who I think has been emerged as one of the better defensive big men in the NBA. Romeo Langford, they finally found him. Like he's been, you know, kind of on those, you know, milk cartons, so to speak, for for a while now, and he's given them a little bit of a boost. Uh, Evan Fournier, before he went out, was was playing pretty well. They're just, you know, they're piecing some of their stuff together. I don't know what it all means. You know, I th- I still think the Celtics are vulnerable when you get to the playoffs because I, I don't like their depth, at least not, you know, until Fournier shows me what he can do on a, on a more steady basis. But uh, their, their confidence has certainly been regained after that really tough stretch in, in February and March. Chris, uh, you met with you were talking about injuries earlier with the compacted season and whatnot. You should have seen or felt the building when uh, when when Donovan Mitchell went down with that injury and they had yeah. to help him off the court. I mean, it just it reminded me, and, and thank goodness it seems like he's going to be uh, back, like we talked about. But man, I'll tell you, all it takes is one injury to ruin a season, really. Yeah, I mean, across the board, especially when you're. You know, like Brooklyn's like the one team that might be able to survive a major injury to a star and still win something. I mean, that's how good those those three guys are. But yeah, I mean, you know, Denver's now out of it. I mean, I don't you know, I don't care what people say. Like you know, Denver's not going to win without Jamal Murray. And you know, Donovan Mitchell, you don't even need to. His value is to this team is just you know, it's uncalculable. Like he's just so so special and so and he's having such a great season that. You know, to watch him go down like that, um, you know, had to have been an incredible moment for, for Jazz fans and, and probably a, a big sigh of relief, of course, to hear that he's he's not going to be down for too long. I'll tell you, on a personal basis, I think I mentioned to you guys last week that you know, I, I've been working on something on the Jazz and how they kind of have, have kind of put things together since last March. And, you know, I, I filed that story like last late last week, and I'm, I'm on a plane Friday when – the, the Mitchell injury happens and I'm sitting there thinking like the last month of my life is now going to be worthless. Like it's going to be a major injury and, and I'm just, just going to go crawl into a corner and just uh, cry myself to sleep. So for on a personal level, I'm happy that Donovan Mitchell is, is well uh, as well. So, and I don't want you to give up, uh, you, you know, the entirety of the piece by any means, Chris, but uh, can you share with us any conclusions examining the jazz over that period of time? Well, I mean, it's, some of it is is simple, you know, getting guys back. You know, Bogdanovic is healthy. That's a big part of what they do. Mike Conley being better is a big part of what they do. But, you know, one, one thing I've learned in the last few weeks is j- just how valuable the bubble was for this team. And, and you know, they, they talked about it, and, you know, you, you get a sense that it was important. But on a personal level, reconnecting, um, uh, you know, we're, after the, all the things that happened in March – was valuable, and I think on a, a professional level, um, how they played and, and the confidence it gave them was valuable. One thing I thought was remarkable was, you know, I, I talked to a lot of guys for the story that, you know, they, they didn't walk away from that Denver series thinking, oh man, or feeling down. Like it, it hurt, no question about it. But most of those guys walked away from that Denver series thinking we can, we can be great. Like you know, this is a, a really great team, and they knew what was coming back. They knew that. Bogdanovich was was going to be a huge part of what they do, and they never could see Mike Conley was getting better. And you have to wonder what would have happened if Conley didn't have to leave, you know, because of uh, a family issue, a family obligation. Um, so I, I think that just you know my biggest takeaway is that 
you know, the bubble, a lot of people saw it a lot of different ways. I don't think there was a team in the league that got more value out of it than the Utah Jazz. I think it's been a real springboard for what they're doing this year. So, Chris, do you believe that old cliche that you learn a lot from losing? Uh, yeah, I do. I think it, it, you do it in different ways. Um, you know, I think, you know, an eight seed getting beaten the first round by a, a one seed can learn a lot. We saw that in 2010 when Oklahoma City, you know, played the Lakers, and I thought that was a real uh, catapult to what they eventually did in the subsequent years. Um, and, you know, for a team like Utah where, you know, you, you you learn from, you know, what a team did to you being down 3-1. I mean, that's, a loss like that can go two directions, right? Like, you could – go the way the Clippers looked like they were going to go. And I don't think the Clippers you know, walked away from their playoffs last year thinking we're, we're, in a good, we're in a good position right now. I mean, I think they were probably pretty demoralized uh, after that, and, and they subsequently made some significant changes uh, to that roster. But you know, the Jazz, to a man, um, it, it just seemed like they knew, you know, they knew what, they, uh, what they could be. And, you know, from the second training camp rolled around, uh, they really hit the ground running and have been exactly that team. Tom Thibodeau um, has the Knicks on, I think, their first five-game winning streak in, like, years. Um, and uh, I'm curious about him. What is it about him that when he takes a job, the team gets better immediately? What does he bring to a team where they they up their uh, their their level of play in such a short order? I mean, he's a brilliant defensive coach, His and that is his schemes in part um, – you know, stuff of which I couldn't properly explain, but you just hear that a lot from opposing coaches. Like, they are a very – Tom Thibodeau coach defensive teams are very disciplined, and they're just excellent on that end of the floor. I mean, Boston won a championship in part because Thibodeau was the defensive coordinator back in 2007-8, and, and, and a big part of what they've done. I think the other part of Tibbs – and Jimmy Butler said this to me once, that, you know, you, you, he goes – you go into the locker room and – you know, he's got all that stuff up on the whiteboard. And you just know when you see it, like, if you follow it, you're probably going to win. And, and that, I don't think that's, I don't think every coach has that same level of trust from his players. I think a lot of them do, and a lot of them have earned it. But, you know, Tips can walk into a locker room and design or put together a, a, you know, a, a game plan. And, you know, players know if they follow it, it's, it's probably going to lead to success on the floor. So, I think that that's a big part of it. Like, you know, players immediately respect his basketball acumen and, and trust that what he tells them to do, uh, it's going to lead to success. Chris, I guess in a general comprehensive kind of sense, let me ask you this question. What has surprised you the most this season? Oh, I mean, you mentioned the Knicks. That's certainly a, a stunner that they've been as good as they've been. Um, you know, I, I think – some of the parity that we've seen, um, you know, across the league. I mean, I, I was you – know, you listened the last couple of days to the belly aching being done by Dallas about the play-in tournament. And, I, look, I understand it to a degree because if you're the Mavericks and you're sitting there at the seventh seed, you're probably looking up at the standings going, all right, Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, we can beat those teams. Like, you know, this is not a situation where uh, the seventh seed or even the eighth seed you know, is is just a non-threat for the top seeds, really in either conference. I mean, more so in the West, but I think in either conference you can make an argument that there's there's going to be some tough some tough tests. So I think that that stands out um, league wide, uh, and of course, you know, the the never-ending 
MVP watch, which I mean, God, when it's all, I, you know, this award ballot, like, I don't, I, I, I will reveal all my uh, uh, choices for these awards, but yeah, I'm just going to log off Twitter immediately afterwards. Cause you're going to have sections of the country furious with you for voting for Jokic for MVP or Quinn Snyder for coach of the year over Tom Thibodeau. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so much, this is probably going to be one of the best MVP or our best uh, award ballots in terms of competitiveness that we've seen in a while. So with that in mind, Chris, let me ask you about your kind of personal philosophy, because Gordon and I, although we certainly don't have votes in the NBA awards, we've debated the philosophy, whether, you know, do you go by stats? Do you go by wins? You know, team success. Uh, When talking about the MVP, how do you balance that? I mean, you look at Steph Curry, who's having a special season, but the record for Golden State isn't that great. You know, how do you weigh all that into consideration when making up your mind? You know, the only hard and fast rule I have on award ballots in general goes with the Most Improved Player Award, which should never, ever, 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 ever go to a player drafted inside the top three. It it drives me crazy when people vote for players being improved. Like Brandon Ingram last year, I didn't get it. I didn't know why people were voting for him. The guy was the number two pick like four years before. You're supposed to improve be the number two overall pick. But as far as, as MVP goes... Um, I think it's a little bit of everything, not to kind of punt on the question, but it's it's not, you know, I, I don't just look at stats, though you have to put up big numbers to be in consideration. I do maybe more than most voters value team success. It's why, you know, when, uh, yeah, look, when, when our friend Tim Bontemps of ESPN did his straw poll, I mean, I had at that time, it was about a week or so or two weeks ago maybe, that he asked me for my vote. I had Mitchell at number two. Uh, because I, I value team success. He's putting up great numbers this year. Maybe not as staggering as as Embiid or or even LeBron, but you know, at that point he was you know an Iron Man and he was you know putting up great numbers on the best team in the NBA. And I think there's that that needs to be accounted for when you're uh, submitting a ballot. So it is a little bit of everything. But for me, you know, team success uh, swings a big bat when it comes to to my vote. You know, when you consider Donovan Mitchell, Chris, I mean, do people forget that he's like six one in a fraction? I mean, he's he's really because he plays bigger than a, a guard of that size. Do do folks remember that about him? And does that make them appreciate his abilities more or less? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think I don't think they do appreciate it enough. I think you know, there's like an assumption that he's maybe you know, and then look, NBA media they know what what he is, but I think maybe the fans in general maybe see him as like a 6-6 guard or, you know, a 6-1 point guard, but he's really a 6-4, 6-3, 6-4, whatever he is, you know, the, you know, two guard uh, who, who plays some, some point at times. I mean, that, and that, that makes his turn all that more remarkable how he's, he's risen to this level. I mean, look, he's, you know, he's a big part of the story that I've been writing about kind of how he's evolved his game. And I, there's not too many players. I mean, look, great players work hard. There's no doubt about it, but I, I haven't come across too many players in recent years that work quite as hard as Donovan Mitchell, both when it comes to studying the game and putting time in to, to play the game. I mean, it's just he's, he's giving everything he possibly can to make himself a great player. And he's doing it with, as you said, some kind of physical limitations for, for his position. Um, so I, I, you know, that, I don't think that gives you any kind of extra juice for, for an MVP award. I think that, has to be kind of taken out of the equation. But as far as being a franchise player and someone you can build a team around, uh, he's got all the ingredients. 
I don't know if you got into it at all, Chris, but he's also uh, he's he's sort of a renaissance man for a kid who's 24 years old. He I wrote a column about this recently that he's he's he may end up being a leader of a generation, not just basketball, but because of his views and his uh, what's important to him as far as education goes and racial and social justice and all these causes he's involved in. It's easy to forget that the guy's 24 years old. Yeah, I, I think you got a glimpse of that in the bubble. At least I did. You know, with Mitchell taking a, uh, uh, maybe, it was, maybe it was a leadership should maybe you call it that, but he certainly was a vocal leader when it came to all the issues that were were out there at that point in time. Yeah, he, he's he, there's certainly a lot of depth to him. I'll say that uh, for sure. I mean, he's he's become someone that uh, is not only a leader on the floor, but very much a leader amongst whether it's other players or fans or, you know, just people that, that follow him, he's, he, he's taken a lot of steps in that direction. And the more he grows and, and the, the more, the better he gets, the more success he has, that, that power is only going to grow with it. Last thing for me, Chris, Zion Williamson said he likes playing in Madison square garden. And now everybody is, uh, is freaking <laughs> out. Uh, or, or when I say everybody, are they making too big a deal of this or is this really something to be made a big deal of? That what the Zion will defect to the Knicks? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we we can't be doing this again. Like this, this is like I mean, every time a player said, like we did this with LeBron, like yeah, eleven years ago, and no, no moss on this one. Like I just, it, it maybe someday that that can be a conversation. But I'll put it this way: no player in the history of rookie extensions has ever turned down a max level extension. None of them have, and there's a reason for that because it's not like you can. You can't get that money that you'd turn down in the first year. If you sign the qualifying offer, you lose out on like $11 million that you can never get back. So guys always sign that rookie extension. So five years from now, if Zion is saying something like this, uh, then maybe we'll have a different conversation. But until then, uh, no. This is just fodder for the New York Post, the Daily News, and all the, the New York you know, radio and TV shows that talk about this stuff. If you're, if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, you are not remotely concerned about this and shouldn't be for the foreseeable future. Last thing for me, Chris, is as I look at the Western Conference, you've already told us how highly you, uh, how highly you think of the Lakers when they're fully healthy, uh, and let's assume that they do get fully healthy. Of all the other teams in the West, who's the strongest um, sleeper, if that's what you want to call it? Uh, I mean, sleepers, I don't know if there's a sleeper necessarily. I guess, you know, because the Mavericks have the talent, you could potentially call them that. Um, I just think the whole playoffs are going to be competitive, like really, really competitive from, from eight to one, you know, wherever the Lakers finish in that mix. I mean, you know, Denver used to be the team that nobody wanted to play. Now everybody might want to play them because of the Murray injury, but Jokic is still there and Gordon. I mean, there's, this could be a really, really interesting Western Conference playoff bracket uh, because, you know, we, we yeah, I, I still think the Lakers at full strength are probably the favorite, but, you know, there's it, probably six teams that you could say could make the finals, and none of them really shocked me because of just how how unique these playoffs are are going to be. So I don't know, I don't know if there's one sleeper per se. I guess you maybe can call Phoenix a sleeper a little bit because they haven't been there before, and and there's some really, really good talent uh, on that team, but. 
the way the Suns have played this season, they're they're no longer kind of an upset pick. So I, I think there's, you know, the the in, in the absence of a sleeper, I think you're probably going to have five or six teams that could potentially make a run. Chris, thank you very much. As always, we'll catch you next week. You got it, guys. There you go, our friend Chris Maddox, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. He's right about the West. <laughs> I just, I look at that and I go, okay, uh, you're not, I mean, this is why I don't bet on sports, but I, I, I look at that grouping and I think, okay, uh, I guess I would put the cutoff at, with the Mavericks, including the Mavericks, but that's seven teams. Contending for a title? Is that, well, that what you're Well, being dangerous. To? So let me say it that way. Being dangerous in the playoffs, I think. I think those any one of those teams is capable of upsetting somebody, you know, at least of winning a series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, say, I can come know, along I mean, with that. that. Winning a series, I, I would, I would not group that many as title contenders. Right, but they, I mean, they're all of those teams would be a threat to the Jazz in one way or another, or the Suns, or the Clippers. Or Lakers, the Lakers are sitting. Well, the Lakers are just sitting there, just screaming at in the fifth slot because you know those two players are coming back and you know that's going to change a whole lot of things with how dangerous the Lakers are. Yeah, I know I don't come along with the logic that they're they're hands down the best team in the West when they're all healthy though. I know that I'm not in the majority there, Gordon, but I still think the Clippers are better than the Lakers. Well, we've asked uh, we've asked Chris and we've uh, we've asked Gordy that question. I think both of them said the Lakers. I hope I'm not misrepresenting. It would yeah. not be the first time I've disagreed with either of those people. <laughs> I forget. Did we we probably asked Howard that? Who did Howard say? I think he said the Lakers too. Well, wouldn't be the first time I've disagreed with Howard either. <laughs> you disagree with everybody. In fact, I have. You're it's disagreeable. <laughs> well, you know what? I've been called worse. <laughs> I want to remind you about our friends at Davis Vision. You know, hold on, it's part of your charm. I appreciate that. Charm. I mean, that's, 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 that's a good word. That's what it. makes you who you are. Uh, there, Davis Vision Spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses. Save one thousand dollars. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call today eight zero one two five three thirty eighty. That's Davis Vision. All right, Gordo, we'll have more coming up next. We've got what's going on at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, Pre-game starts at 7. Jazz game starts at 8. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.